Today is the 26th of January 2021. So this uh, training in this training in samadhi to make our hearts firmly established is uh, something that we need to do with a sense of letting go as well. Because if we meditate with attachment or very strong desires to get samadhi, uh, then when we aren't able to achieve that, when the mind isn't peaceful, then we'll feel very agitated inside. And this strong desire in our hearts can uh, force them or make them uh, struggle to get away from the meditation object, make them shake uh, because of that intensity of desire. And this causes um, a lot of inner chaos. So samadhi is something that we have to develop bit by bit. And uh, we want for this peace, but we also need to understand that it's not the case that when we sit or do walking meditation, every time the mind will gather together into a state of calm. We put in our efforts, and perhaps we give all of our efforts, uh, but sometimes still the mind is agitated, and sometimes it's not yet peaceful. So we must also forbear with this. So this forbearance is a quality, is the quality of the wise. So the fully awakened Buddha, uh, he had this very strong samadhi. He had trained his mind uh, to such a high degree and for such a long time. But in some of his uh, prior lives, uh, he didn't have this. And there was one where he was a hermit, uh, but his mind was all over the place. Uh, But one day, one child of his friend got uh, bitten by a venomous snake, and he made the determination of truth uh, that um, through, or ever since I ordained, Ever since I became a hermit, I haven't experienced any peace at all. Uh, My mind has just been chaotic all the time. And um, through the power of this truth, uh, may this poison leave this child's body. And it got good results. And that was due to uh, the strength of his barami. It's something very amazing. So when we start out in this practice, sometimes our minds are peaceful and sometimes they're not, but no matter what their state, we know. And uh, we rely upon the faculties of mindfulness and wisdom to help us out as well. Because if we just want for there to be peace every single time we meditate, then that will be a cause for chaos. And um, it's also when we've tasted peace already, and we know that our mind is getting close to that state, then we can become excited. And that puts up a barrier to gaining samadhi. Uh, But when we feel like the mind is becoming peaceful and we're indifferent, we're equanimous, uh, we let go 
and we just allow for that peace uh, to follow its own nature. And then the mind does settle down. So this depends upon our training, depends upon our skills that we developed. And as we do it, then we become more and more skilled, and samadhi becomes something easier and easier. Uh, But in the beginning, um, there probably won't be much samadhi present. So we rely upon sanya, upon perception or memory. When we sit down to meditate, uh, we can bring the mind to be aware of the breath as it comes and goes. Uh, But even though we do that, there can be a lot of thoughts going on. We try to be mindful of this breath, uh, but it won't just stay on that object. So we need to use that thinking. We need to contemplate, asking ourselves, what is the nature of this body? What are they like? What's its true state? And there are different angles through which we can look at the body. And one of those is a suba, seeing it as being something unattractive. So for those who have ordained, uh, we've been given these meditation objects of hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin. In this case, uh, loma, naka, danta, tacho. These five meditation objects, and these are the things which wrap the body. This is the outer body. So we read in the suttas that we should contemplate the body, both externally and internally our body and also the bodies of others, other animals, other beings. So we have this hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth and skin, which cover over, which wrap up this body. Usually when we see another human form, then we see it as being something strong, something that is stable and constant, and something that's beautiful. But really, All of this uh, depends upon the breath, so we can contemplate this breath and see that when these bodies uh, do have this constant supply of oxygen, as this breath coming in and leaving, um, then it's difficult for us to see the nature of inconstancy of anicca within it. Uh, But when we contemplate well, we see this nature of arising and ceasing, um, that these things, they're not sure, they're unstable. If the breath comes in and it doesn't leave, or if there's an in-breath but no out-breath, then the body starts to change, it starts to deteriorate. And that which was once strong, or we saw it as being strong, we see it as being otherwise. And uh, why is that? It's because it's trying to return to its nature, When it breaks apart and decays in this way, then the earth, it uh, degrades and turns back into the earth that it came from. The water flows to be back with the water. The air comes out, the air element, to return to the external air element. And uh, the fire element disperses into the fire element of the world. And it all deteriorates, breaks down in this manner. And so we think and contemplate in this way uh, to see that this body body is not uh, beautiful. And we can ask ourselves, well, what does it contain? Um, There's a heart, there are lungs, there are um, intestines, kidneys. 
And we look uh, to see it in this way. You see there's just a skeleton in there that's surrounded by different organs. Uh, there's also ligaments, and uh, so we contemplate this. And um, initially the contemplation will probably just on the level of sanya, of memory, perception, this asuba sanya that we bring up. Um, and that's okay for now. And bring up this memory of uh, the body not being beautiful. And this helps us to develop right view and right intention. And so um, sometimes the mind can be pulled off into attraction or liking. And sometimes it can be pulled off onto the other extreme of wanting or being averse or wanting to harm or having cruelty within it. And both of these extremes make the mind stirred up, make it agitated. So we must pull it back into the middle path. So when the heart is following its attraction or liking, when it's become pleased um, in sensuality, it sees um, things as being beautiful, as being strong, as being constant. So we should then bring up this perception of the unattractive side of bodies. We can look at our teeth, for instance. And normally we see them as being white, very attractive, arranged orderly in our mouths. Um, but they also have other things, uh, more than what we can just see. There are nerves attached to them. And they also have their roots as well. And then when these teeth start changing on us, they can um, give us excruciating pain. There's also bacteria which tries to um, eat away at the teeth and damage them. And there are many different illnesses uh, that occur within our teeth. And so we have dentists to fix them, to cure them. And also when we put food into our mouths, um, then that can harm our gums as well and give rise to gum disease. Or we can look at our skin and uh, see that when we grow older, then our skin develops allergies to many different things. And this is because it is uh, degrading. And when we peel off that skin, what's underneath is blood. And no matter where we cut our skin, anywhere in this body, then blood will flow out. And that shows us that this body is just a bag of blood. It's blood that's been wrapped around by some skin. Because wherever that skin breaks, blood flows out. So we see the body as being a bag of unattractive things. A bag of blood, a bag of urine, a bag of feces. And there are many different things within it. There's different elements, calcium for example. Then when we throw them into a cremation ground, uh, animals come and eat them as food, and the bones separate out and start to be scattered around. So really we see that there's nothing there at all that is beautiful. But it's the nature of the mind that has been afflicted and under the sway of the kilesas for such a long time now that it will see these things as being beautiful. When we hear different sounds, we take them as being beautiful sounds. 
But why don't we see the true, uh, deep nature? When we contemplate and we work to bring the mind uh, back into a normal state, into the middle, um, then it'll become calm. So if it goes off in the other way, the side of aversion, then we use metta, use this loving kindness, not wishing any harm upon any being, and the mind turns peaceful. We can use our wisdom um, to give rise to samadhi in this way. But in the beginning, this is just wisdom on the level of thought. We have uh, this thinking, we use that to contemplate about things that we have remembered. And usually there isn't an imita, there's no mental vision that arises. But we just carry on with it, day in, day out. And as we contemplate back and forth um, upon the memories that we have, then the mind slowly turns calm, grows uh, to be very comfortable at ease and spacious. It's not involved in liking or disliking anymore. And whether we're walking, whether we're sitting, whether we're standing, uh, the heart feels at ease. So this training of our mind, uh, well, this is the training of the mind to come together into a state of peace. Initially, when we come to sit in meditation and bring our awareness to the breath, there can be a huge number of thinking, of thoughts that go on in the mind, and it can just rattle on without stop. So therefore, we need to use these thoughts to bring them into the bounds of our contemplation. And some people like to contemplate the body in terms of its elements, in terms of earth, water, fire, and air, seeing them as being not self. Um, seeing all people or beings as just anicca, dukkha, anatta, as inconstant, stressful, and not self. And when these bodies decay, when they deteriorate, we can't find any true self within them. So contemplating in this way is just like us giving a Dharma talk to ourselves. And we do this until our minds can accept this truth, until they become joyous, uh, they become very contented, at ease, peaceful. So in this training, we need to endure. We also need to bring up our efforts because sometimes we meet with peace and sometimes we don't. Uh, but we know that these things are not sure. If the mind is flooded with calm, and we tell ourselves this is not sure, if it's completely absent of peace, we tell ourselves this is not sure. And by reminding ourselves of this nature, of its inconstancy, that it's something that's not sure. Now this turns into a an object of vipassana, of clear seeing. So we can recollect a suba, we can practice metta bhavana, we can recite the mantra of buddha, and all of this is for the sake of calming our minds. But it's when we teach ourselves about inconstancy, um, that our practice turns into vipassana, because uh, this is one of the objects of vipassana. 
And so when we meet with different sense impressions, um, or there are different emotions that we experience, sometimes those are good, and that's not sure. And sometimes they're not good, and that's not sure. Whatever impression, whatever sensation we experience, they're all not sure. And this is the way that it is. So our minds shouldn't attach to anything at all. And in doing this, they will be peaceful. So this practice is something that we should put our efforts into, that we should really try to do, because now we have a very good opportunity. So we use that opportunity well, putting in our efforts, doing our morning chanting, our evening chanting. For the laity, you have work that you have to do, but need to manage your time appropriately as well. Maybe spend eight hours a day resting, and you could do two hours of meditation, spend a few hours doing meritorious deeds, um, chanting, helping people out, and work for eight hours. And this leaves a bit of time for exercise as well. But for those practitioners who are intelligent, um, they'll be developing mindfulness as they're um, exercising. So the Buddha taught uh, for us to have this foundation of self-sacrifice and develop merit. And there are these ten forms of merit that I've explained before. Um, that's of generosity, of virtue, of meditation, of helping others out, of bringing the mind to peace, and then when it's in that calm state of sharing the merit that we have, rejoicing in the good deeds of others, giving rise to right view, listening to the Dhamma, sharing the Dhamma. These are all forms of merit. And when we do this, then the mind turns into a kind of a higher mind, an exalted mind, that of the state of Vedeva, because it has the sense of self-sacrifice within it, um, that we want to help others out. So now, during this uh, time of this pandemic, there are many disciples of this monastery who are sacrificing, who are devoted to cultivating merit and doing skillful deeds. And they've been helping us out here, offering the four requisites uh, to this monastery and also elsewhere as well. And uh, this is a great form of merit that they are doing, especially because now we're in an economic crisis. So this is merit that they're producing. And when we do these forms of merit, uh, the heart rejoices in that. What's natural within developing merit is that sila, um, a practice of virtue, becomes something quite easy. Because when we're doing skillful deeds, then we're also, um, within that action, we're also abandoning unskillful deeds. And we don't want any form of evil, any thing that's unwholesome, and the mind is then established in the sila. So we see that the benefits of merit are a lot, but the highest benefit that merit gives us is that we don't wish for the wealth of others to be ours. So we abandon our greed in this way. 
And people who make merit on a regular basis, they see this, that they don't want for anyone else's wealth. Barami turns full in this way. Those people who develop merit a lot, then they will have a mind that is intent, that's really focused on escaping from suffering, that has nibbana as the um, abiding quality of the mind, or that the mind is is trying to bring up this um, recollection of nibbana constantly. And this recollection of nibbana is the quality of a sotapanna. So as we carry on practicing, then the mind gathers together, samadhi arises, wisdom emerges. And uh, through this, uh, we see the nature of all things, and we see it with clarity, and our faith becomes more firmly established. In the beginning, however, we don't see these things. Uh, But as we carry on practicing, then one day, the mind reaches a state of peace, and it just flips over. And we see the nature of all sankharas as being conventions, and the mind grows bright. But this comes from the merit that we have done, from our generosity, from our sila, from listening to the dhamma, from developing samadhi. As we carry on practicing, then one day the mind does gather together, and we see with great clarity into the truth. And so we should have faith in the goodness that we are producing. Um, Because this is what the Buddha taught for us to do. He also taught this path to practice. So we carry on with it and we don't give in. We have uh, sincerity, we set our minds on this, and one day we will see the Dhamma. And when we see it, then there's great joy that comes into the mind, and there's wisdom arising as well. And these are the bojangas, the um, factors for awakening. But the krubhajans, the great teachers, they didn't talk about it so much in this way. It's more something that when we've practiced already, we'll experience and know for ourselves. When the mind is peaceful, then there's great joy that floods the heart. And this is one of those factors for seeing into the Dhamma. There's also Upeka, equanimity, and there's great effort as well. There's mindfulness, there's wisdom. These are all the uh, factors for awakening, the bojangas. So it's not something that we need to study about in the scriptures. We don't need to talk about it, but rather, as we practice, we'll know these things for ourselves. And these seven factors for awakening are the four bases for power. The five faculties, the five, sorry, the four bases uh, for um, for the psychic powers, and then the five faculties, the five powers, and the eightfold path, and they all become complete right here within our hearts. So we really try, we practice, and uh, and we do this together every day because this is a very good opportunity that we have right now. Um, that we're in this time of pandemic, so we probably have more time than we no- we normally do. The laity have, through their great faith, have been offering things to us, uh, offering food, offering the four requisites, and everything is complete. So these things, these requisites, they come to us through the kindness and the merits 
of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, and also through the metta of the lay people as well. And so we need to put in our efforts in response to that to repay the goodness of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, to repay the kindness of the laity. We do that through our efforts. Because the Buddha is right here in front of us. So we should really try, really put in our energy. And when we train this mind, then in the end, we will see the Dhamma. So for both the monastics and the laity, may you set your hearts on this. <laughs>